Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the news section. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered. I'm your host, Dr. Sonia Desi. Joining me on this episode are Dr. Keith Kerr and Dr. Yasushi Atabi. Dr. Kerr is a professor of pulmonary pathology at Aberdeen University Medical School and a consultant pathologist at the Aberdeen Royal Infirmary in Scotland. Dr. Yasushi Atabi is chief of the Department of Diagnostic Pathology at the National Cancer Center in Tokyo, Japan. I am a professor in the Department of Pathology at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pennsylvania, USA. So the three of us got together with our colleagues, Alan Borzuk, Wendy Cooper, Andrew Moreira, and Ming Chao, are members of the ICLC Pathology Committee. And actually, Keith Kerr is our current chair of the committee, and Yasuji is the former chair of the committee. And we all work together with uh, other members of the ICLC Pathology Committee in the production of a new ICLC atlas featuring immunohistochemistry in thoracic pathology. And that's the topic of today's podcast. So welcome to Lung Cancer Considered. So thank you for being here today, Keith and Yasushi. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks for the invitation to uh, participate in this uh, podcast. Sure, I'm happy to have you here, Keith. And thank you very much for the invitation. And uh, it's a great honor uh, to make a a broadcast here. Thank you, Sanya. Thank you. Thank you both. So as we begin the podcast, I wonder if you could, uh, Yasushi probably, tell us how the idea of the IHC Atlas was born and what was the ultimate goal. Okay, thank you. The initial idea came from the conversation of the pathology committee meeting. So because the, we have a many speech as an expert in the local pathology committee uh, meeting, uh, we have many questions on immunohistochemistry. Most of them are related with the predictive biomarker immunohistochemistry, but we are also asked many questions on diagnostic immunohistochemistry. So we published a review article for such uh, uh, 11 questions selected, and our response is in the JTO. However, the article has a limitation of the page spaces. We could not include some important issues in the paper. This is the start of the diagnostic immunohistochemistry address, and the question are covered, uh, we covered were expanded to the 46 in address. The address is one of our attempts to standardize the diagnosis of lung cancer. We believe the comprehensive review from the many aspects promote the understanding of how immunohistochemistry works, how to use it, when to use it, and how to interpret it, the result appropriately. That was the goal of the address. Great. Both of you have experiences in um, leading the efforts uh, on other atlases, and you know it takes like a really huge effort and coordination to get the final publication. So, Keith, uh, maybe you can tell us more about the entire process uh, from the idea to the final product, what it actually takes to put one atlas like this together. Yeah, sure, Sonia. 
as Yusushi said, the, the, the ideas for for these and, and for this atlas and, and the previous atlases that uh, have been produced have, have really sprung from conversations and discussions in the ISLC Pathology Committee and indeed beyond the committee um, with our interaction with, with our other ISLC members where we kind of see needs and opportunities for educational materials um, to try to help folks navigate their way through uh, particularly difficult problems. We started the, the process with the ALK Atlas, which seems a long time ago now, of course, and, and that has even come out in a second edition with uh, ROS1 included and We've had the EGFR atlas and, and also the, the PDL1 atlas, of course. And the, these are very focused projects which try to provide a, a very comprehensive and, and targeted discussion around, uh, around particular problems. And it, it is definitely a, a, a very involved process right from, from the beginning where we identify a question or an area that uh, we think would benefit from the publication of an atlas. We then have to flesh out the idea, discuss the idea with the uh, with ISLC, of course. Then it has to be kind of fleshed out in detail because we, we have to um, bring on board um, sponsors and we're very grateful to the uh, fantastic support that we've had from all our, all our sponsors for all of these projects. We then get uh, a core team together to um, try to coordinate and um, edit the final product. Then, of course, we have to have a, a writing team. And uh, in the beginning, the editorial groups were also the, the authors uh, largely. But uh, more recently, and, and certainly for the IHC Atlas, we've had many more of our committee members participating and uh, writing articles, um, writing chapters for, for the Atlas. The editors have quite a, an intense job of, of reviewing in a really iterative process, uh, reviewing and editing uh, the product. And then, of course, we have to work closely with folks in the ISLC office. And uh, in this regard, uh, Jill Dano has been absolutely fabulous um, in the way that she has kept us all in line and coordinated everything and then put, putting everything together and seeing the final product it's uh, it's it's a long process uh, but it's it's always worth it when when you see the final product yeah I cannot agree more and we may also say that actually we we worked on a relatively short deadline in the midst of the COVID and everything, but everybody was able to pull together. And uh, we had a conference call as well where we discussed and we had a face-to-face -face meeting. So for me, it was a really very pleasant and a great experience. And I'm very happy to see the final product. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think the way that, that all of the authors really kept to their deadlines and, and produced great scripts and then responded to all our questions during the, the editorial process. Absolutely terrific, um, the way everyone pulled together in, as you say, a, a, a very short time. And also, uh, we had a face-to-face -face meeting on the February 1st. So we were very happy 
because the you know the the COVID nineteen pandemic is not so spread. I could go to the uh, ISSC office in Denver. Yeah, that face to face meeting was actually very important. I think in in kind of establishing where we were, and I think establishing the. The, the the thinking around the atlas and and to some extent the the structure and and so on for me it it was it was a very important part of the process so we we've we've produced this this atlas and uh i think we're happy with it and and i think it, it's it's a uh, going to be a great resource but there are there are other resources out there in terms of immunohistochemistry and so on and I just want to throw out, out the question, and maybe you can pick this one up. First of all, Sanya, there are books, textbooks on immunohistochemistry. And of course, nowadays, there are lots of web resources uh, like ImmunoQuery and various other places one can go to answer some question um, about immunohistochemistry. In what way do you think uh, this, this atlas is different uh, from some of those resources? Yeah, thank you, Keith, for bringing up that question, because I think it's a really important question. As you said, there's so many publications on immunohistochemistry available to readers that the question is, how do how is this product really different? And as we all know, most of the textbooks or other resources out there are written primarily by pathologists for pathologists. So there is like a very specific language. There are like all these minutiae that you like to pay attention to. But I think unique part of this atlas, yes, it's written by pathologists for pathologists, but the approach was to really go into details about pitfalls, difficulties in the interpretation of the immunohistochemistry result, how to make meaningful report when you get like unusual results. So I think that's something that's really going to help our pathology colleagues. But uh, one of the advantages that actually this was uh, done in collaboration with the ICLC is that we really could provide this multidisciplinary niche to the entire subject. And uh, we are lucky that within ICLC, we have our oncology colleagues, we have our thoracic surgeons who appreciate very much what was done in the pathology. And they were able to give us their input, how to make this atlas even more appealing to their colleagues or our colleagues, I should say, to our oncologists, to our thoracic surgeons. So I think the test, the atlas in the way how it's written and there are certain chapters are going to be appealing to our clinical colleagues as well. And I'm not sure what's the practice in the UK or in Japan or Asia in general, but in the US, our patients actually can see the reports uh, and they can read them even before they see their treating physicians. And actually in my practice, we have the consultation hours for the patients when they can come in and uh, they can sit with uh, pathologists, usually with the case pathologist, and discuss the findings. And usually there are many questions actually about the language that we use in our reports that may not be, uh, for, particularly for the patients, they may not be familiar with. So I, I think that's the main advantage of our actually Atlas that's really appealing to much broader audience than usual pathology textbooks, which are usually very like a dry and very, very focused exclusively for the pathologists. Similar with the, with the web uh, available platforms, they're very oriented to 
diagnostic uh, importance of certain antibodies, but they really don't give kind of like a more pitfall. So I think this multidisciplinary broad audience, it's really the main advantage of this atlas. And I hope you agree with me, or maybe you have something else that you can add that I missed. No, I, 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 I would completely agree with uh, what you've just said, Sanya, and and, and it, it seems almost uh, two different aspects, and and they're 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 not contradictory. But on the one hand, I, I, I think in in the atlas there are there's a lot of quite important detail about the interpretation and and the use of of the immunohistochemistry that we use widely in thoracic pathology and and that obviously is largely for the pathologists but at the same time there's all the context and the clinical perspective which the the, the multidisciplinary um, team has has provided and you know that has been an aspect of all of the atlases in fact that they are they're a resource for everybody not just for pathologists and hopefully others do get benefit from from using them because the um as you say that the, the technique is is so widely used and and we'll come on and probably discuss that um, later on but our reports now contain a lot of of immunohistochemical information and um as our as our readers if you like <laughs> the readers of our reports try to interpret our reports and um, and and so on. A bit of knowledge and understanding of immunohistochemistry is really important. I agree. T totally agree with that. To summarize the the difference of the published textbook is that this address is a very practical and up to date with uh, up to date information for not just for pathologists and uh, uh, this is just. Uh, this is for multidisciplinary teams. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because most of the textbooks, if you're looking most of the textbook, actually, it's usually within the general textbooks or even like this immunohistochemistry dedicated books. Those chapters are really kind of like very general and primarily targeting pathologists as the audience. And I think the main advantage, as we already said, is really this broader audience. And I cannot emphasize more, talking from my perspective, practicing in the US, that this is also something that patients can use as a valuable resource. Actually, in the beginning, we discussed uh, the characteristics of this address. So we decided to this address as practical as pr uh, possible. So that was one of the goal of this address. And uh, I'd like to ask Sanya first, the immunohistochemistry has been around for the last 30 years. What is the importance of the immunohistochemistry in the thoracic pathology today? So I think we have uh, uh, the role of the immunohistochemistry has been changed along the uh, history. However, now, so what is the most important par part of the histochemistry in a thoracic pathology? Uh, this is a great question because our practice really changed in the past 20, 30 years since immunohistochemistry came on board. And again, we are really practicing nowadays in a multidisciplinary fashion. And nowadays, there are actually multiple, I would say, areas where immunohistochemistry and thoracic pathology is important. First of all, of course, it's to make the correct diagnosis. And particularly in lung cancer, 
it's more than ever uh, important to subclassify tumors beyond just the major categories, non-small cell carcinomas or small cell carcinomas, because that really drives the treatment and management of our patients. And uh, this is where immunohistochemistry really made a huge impact uh, on a practice, not just in academic places, but also in a community, in the prior practices everywhere. So this classification that really drives the management is the, is the first uh, and the most important thing. Another thing that we didn't talk much about it is also using the immunohistochemistry for potential predictive biomarkers. And as Keith said, we had other publications on ALK and ROS and the PDL1 um, that are very, very specialized. But this atlas also touched a little bit upon it. But that's an important part of our practice. Someone may ask, you know, why is this important in the era of next generation sequencing testing? But we have to think about areas of the world where next gen sequencing is not a standard of care and where immunohistochemistry for at least some markers actually could be uh, very helpful and most importantly can provide a very rapid answer. For example, if patient has a lung adenocarcinoma, we arrange and give that information to our patient less than 20 percent and start treatment basically almost immediately after the biopsy was done in, in, in a day or two. So these are the two main areas where I see uh, immunohistochemistry. And one of the issues nowadays is that we have so many uh, immunohistochemical markers out there that sometimes there is a confusion in the field. What is the best marker? What should I use? How should I use it as a pathologist? How I could incorporate it in my, in my pathology report? And I think this is where Atlas really played a very significant role and pointed out what markers are the best in terms of like arriving at the correct diagnosis, how to use them, and how to interpret them. So maybe, Keith, you can follow or um, argue with me on this subject. <laughs> Oh, Sonia, Sonia, I would, n I would never argue with you, <laughs> Un unless you said something I disagreed with, of course. The, the, <laughs> Thank you, Keith. <laughs> unfortunately, perhaps, I'm old enough to remember pathology before immunohistochemistry just, and the transformation that immunohistochemistry has made to our work is, is quite remarkable, to the point where you might not even recognize uh, the, the the specialty um, without it. And and so I do have a a particular perspective, I suppose, on on the use of of immuno in general, but but obviously immuno in in thoracic pathology. And I I think you touched on it very nicely at the end that that we we are now able to to make a lot more of our diagnosis to make a more accurate diagnosis by using immunohistochemistry, but it all has to be used in context. And as you said, Sanya, there are so many antibodies potentially out there. And, and I do believe that in some instances, and I, I, I'm kind of mindful of the, I can hear our trainees um, in, in the back of my mind, um, they're always that I, I seem to be against the use of immunohistochemistry, and I'm absolutely not. But what I'm against is the the, the kind of non-thinking use of whatever antibodies happen to be in the fridge um, being 
used on on every single case. I, I think it's a it's an immensely powerful tool, but it has to be used correctly at the correct time and in the correct context. And also it has to be interpreted in the context of of the case that we're looking at. Otherwise we can we can go quite badly wrong. And and I think that the Atlas gives us uh, a balanced perspective on on using immunohistochemistry in a, in a in an appropriate way, not not vast numbers of markers, but the correct markers and the useful markers, because it also points out things that are not particularly useful, and and things that would not provide us uh, with with information. So, hugely important technique for us, and you know this this atlas is is different from the others in in the the way that the the current atlas is focusing really on the the diagnostic steps that we undertake to to make a specific diagnosis of of some form of thoracic um, tumor before we can then consider how this tumor should be uh, treated and the 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 appropriate application of a predictive um, biomarkers. So it's the it's the hugely important step before that that every single case potentially at least um, has to go through. So it it is uh, such an important part of our uh, diagnostic armamentarium now. And you know in the current WHO classification, immunohistochemistry is it's moved beyond being a diagnostic adjunct. Um, almost, you can use immunohistochemistry to kind of confirm what you think the diagnosis is on your H&E, but at the same time, the immunohistochemistry now in the WHO classification is actually embedded in the definition of, of certain types of tumours. So it really has taken a, a, a very, very important role in in our in our both our diagnosis and in our classification um, in thoracic pathology. Yeah, that's that, that's an excellent comment, Keith. And I would also like to add, actually, uh, because of the immunohistochemistry, we are actually able to do more with less. And our cytology specimens are, I think, great example. Sometimes you get this small sample of a lung tumor, which may be 10 or 20 tumor cells, and you really have a hard time deciding whether this is adenocarcinoma or squamous cell carcinoma. You know you're dealing with a stage four patient who is not going to tolerate another procedure. And that's immunohistochemistry that really made a huge impact in those small specimens. And that, as you mentioned uh, and alluded to WHO, this is very well addressed in, in the current and uh, the last 2015 WHO as well. Sanya, I, I totally agree with you. Do, do you remember the debate we were having 10, 10 or 12 years ago or more? when we were we were kind of struggling to make a specific diagnosis on small biopsy or or, or cytology samples in in a significant number of cases and just about the time that personalized medicine exploded and we were required to make a much more specific diagnosis and then get involved in predictive biomarker testing just about that time the the, the data became available for us to actually use immuno to really rescue some of these tiny samples 
So the, the, the benefit for patients that not having to undergo further procedures and our ability to be able to make the diagnosis we could is really because of very simple and very limited immunohistochemistry. So it's, it's, it, the impact is very profound. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I'd like to uh, touch with the technical de development of the immunohistochemistry. I started the pathology training in 1991, and that period, most immunohistochemistry should be performed on the frozen sections. However, nowadays, uh, most immunohistochemistry can be done with the paraffin-embedded, formerly fixed paraffin-embedded specimens. So that was uh, because of the uh, development of antigen deterioration, uh, signal amplification, and introduction of the rabbit monoclonal antibodies. So uh, these technical development contribute the uh, widespread of the immunohistochemistry, and now we can have uh, many techniques, and uh, we have. Uh, the post, please. So we have some diagnosis uh, which can be made by the molecular alternation, such as a NAT carcinoma or SMARC-A4 deficient tumor, of which diagnosis requires the molecular alternation accessed by the immunohistochemistry. Yeah, and and you know, I, I just just to pick up on what you said about the technical developments. When when I, when I <laughs> when I think back to the the issue of of sometimes having to do our immuno on frozen section and having a very limited range of antibodies and everything in the laboratory was essentially experimental and essentially they were all laboratory developed tests. What has happened is, is really quite remarkable. And I think that one, one of the things that I hope the Atlas will provide is some of that technical background to readers because I'm I'm not convinced that that a, a kind of detailed knowledge of how immunohistochemistry actually works. Uh, I, I'm not convinced that 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 knowledge is terribly profound or terribly widespread within the broader um, pathology community. And you know, I I I, I hope that uh, I'm not upsetting anyone in, in in saying that. But you know, detailed knowledge of those techniques, it's only something that that. Personally, I've I've picked up on in in recent years when having to to look in much more detail at at at, at some of the technology and and the way that perhaps artifacts or detection systems work and 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 the important differences that they they bring to the technology uh, and and the final result. So, I think a knowledge of 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 the technique is is actually very important and it's becoming more important as we move into predictive biomarkers, which are therapy defining, it's so important that your immunohistochemistry is, is working absolutely correctly. We've moved beyond a, a kind of diagnostic adjunct into something which is absolutely therapy de determining um, as, a, as a primary um, test. And in, in that regard, the techniques being solid is so important and and of course we we now have companion diagnostic assays and and um, think things like that which are also very important for the community and understanding what they bring 
to our um, work is, uh, is, is really crucial. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. And uh, I, I cannot agree with more with you, Keith, when you said that you are not sure about how much this technical knowledge is actually present in the pathology community. And I personally think it's one actually of our deficiencies in uh, training our residents, at least in U.S., because I know they don't spend any time actually in the immunohistochemistry labs, and uh, most of them actually get knowledgeable about technical issues or technical aspects of immunohistochemistry if they're really looking for the jobs and they're going to become directors of immunohistochemistry. And then they discover that there is this huge area of technical details that you really have to be aware of if you really want to run a good quality immunohistochemistry lab. And uh, over the years, as uh, both of you very well know, regulatory agencies um, actually put a huge emphasis on a quality control uh, in the laboratories, and we all have to adhere to it. And this is becoming, as you very well nicely said, more, more and more important, particularly nowadays when we are dealing with predictive biomarkers as well. So. I think we really made like a long way from just developing, you know, some weird research kind of like a tool to something that's a really standard practice globally. And I would actually like to move maybe to the future because we've been talking about the past and how we got with immunohistochemistry where we are nowadays. So maybe we can, uh, building on that and say something uh, or a few words about the future of immunohistochemistry in thoracic pathology. So any of you, either Keith or Yasushi, can take on this question. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure that immunohistochemistry has a future. You know, you, you mentioned earlier in the discussion, Sanya, about the way next generation sequencing or molecular profiling in general has has consumed the ca the cancer community and you know our our oncology colleagues are are absolutely wedded to to the 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 idea that molecular profiling rightly so that molecular profiling is 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 of critical importance to um uh, uh, diagnosis and and determining management but I would say that immunohistochemistry is just as important, A, for making the diagnosis, but, but also um, in, in terms of a predictive biomarker technology, I think immunohistochemistry will stay with us. You know, the, the, the proteins, uh, the macromolecules that immunohistochemistry detects in the tumours, these, the, these are the things that drive oncogenesis and these are the things that are the, the targets of the drugs that we, we use. And, and these are the things that make the cells do what they do and look how they look. And, and, and so it's, it's absolutely um, fundamental that we, we not only consider what is going on at, at a, a nucleotide level, but, but also at a protein level. And, and we do that in a, in a very granular and very detailed way by immunohistochemistry. So it's going to stay with us because of its, its profound importance. I think what will happen in the future is that we will use more of it, um, but hopefully not to the exclusion of of the the core morphological techniques that that underpin all of our diagnoses. But we will, I think, use it probably in conjunction with um, digital pathology techniques and and possibly even artificial intelligence, whereby we will probably move to a more quantitative 
way of assessing immunohistochemistry in certain cir circumstances. And for that, I think we're going to need uh, digital solutions. And also, we probably will be able to use more multiplex immunohistochemistry and be, be able to interrogate uh, an image uh, with multiple markers and, and start to relate the expression of proteins in different cells or even in the same cell in different ways. Now, at the moment, of course, would be a research tool, but I, I suspect that if it does provide uh, clinically useful information, as it, as it could well do, we, we will find ourselves, both in terms of classification, but also in terms of probably predictive biomarker diagnosis, having a, a, a much more complicated life and, and therefore relying more on digital uh, technology. I think that's at least one way that things will change. I totally agree with that, Keith. And uh, basically, the diagnosis of the lung cancer is dependent on the, you know, the morphology right now. So because the distinction between the cancer or non-neoplastic non non lesion are based on the morphology uh, for some situation, a particular change will be associated with the neoplastic changes. However, in a similar change is not a true uh, in other situations. So uh, in that sense, the, the diagnosis is based on the morphology, uh, even though the, the digital pathology and the artificial intelligence can be helped. However, uh, this situation will be will not be changed for uh, next ten years. So, in that sense, the immunohistochemistry and other, for example, the molecular testing, uh, can be helpful for the morphological diagnosis as an uh, ancillary techniques. So, uh, that is my perspective of the immunohistochemistry for next a decade. I really have nothing else to add. I agree with everything both of you said. It's really that's where the future is. And as you wrap up this podcast, I would like to thank you both for your time. I know you both of you are very, very busy. And thank you so much for clarifying that pathologists are actually very important in the treatment of the in the management of the patients with the lung cancer and not only lung cancer but also other uh, malignancies so keith and uh, yasushi thank you so much for your time today and uh, i'm sure you will have ideas about more atlases to come and i will be very happy to be part of your uh, group oh you're you're um, very welcome and thank you very much for uh, hosting this uh, this podcast and uh, Thanks to everyone for organizing it. It's, it's been a pleasure to participate and be careful what you wish for. We have lots more atlases uh, planned. <laughs> thank you, Sanya. And uh, it's my great honor to hear and uh, thank you for hosting the, uh, this broadcast. So thank you for a very nice comment. Thank you both for a wonderful discussion. Stay safe and I hope to see you both soon. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Visit the news section on IASLC.org for more Lung Cancer Considered podcasts. And please, like your favorite episodes on SoundCloud and share them with your friends and colleagues.